Welcome and hello to See For Yourself, the only podcast that was an undercover cop the entire time. I am your host, Skip2, Milo, and I am joined today by... I'm family made since 1946. Aren't we all? <laughs> <laughs> Aren't we all? I do hope that becomes our long-running bit. It's it's just this season. Next season, I'll have a new thing where you're like, <laughs> oh, I, I'm somewhere. And I'm like, go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so the movie we have for today is uh, 1988's Vampire's Kiss. Vampire's Kiss. And I have seen this movie before. And I'm, oh, okay. I'm led to believe you have not. Oh, no. It's, it's a movie. Correct. Yes, it is uh, several still images slapped together to appear as though they are moving. I honestly... I think it's a fad and uh you know it'll it'll go the way of um floppy disks any day now any day now anyways the plot synopsis for the film is as follows a white collar businessman goes out for a night on the town when the lady that he takes back to his place bites him on the neck he begins going through some strange changes said he's a businessman huh a white collar businessman a white collar businessman what is what does that mean to you a white collar businessman in in my head that's the the upper echelons of like they don't really have anything to do with with the day-to-day of the company but they're the ones that make the decisions like ah this whole department is losing money we're just gonna fire them all blood-sucking leeches you might say oh oh wow wow a clever uh metaphor you've created here so do you think that they will you think they'll use that metaphor at all will they actually have like a discussion on how you know the ceos and the vps and you know all the executives are kind of just using all of the dare i say it the proletariat workers yes no that's exactly what i think it's gonna be and this being as early as um because i feel like blade did the same thing in a sense well uh i think it leaned more on like how people were cattle or something like that but it was the same idea we're like you know, the upper echelons of society are just, you know, using and, and feeding off off the masses. And uh, I don't know, maybe maybe this is the movie that did it first. That That's the first thing that jumps to mind. When I'm thinking about Blade, like you, you bring up Blade and immediately all I can think about is the like club scene. You know what I'm talking about? Mm, no, explain. Blade goes to this club for vampires. It's called like, I don't know, Bloody something or other. Bloody Mary's. Let's, let's say it's called that. Who knows? Which for the record, if you're going to have like a club for vampires, naming it after a popular drink isn't a bad idea. Right. Like, you know for a fact that, like, the Vampire Club was called, like, Nosferatu's or some bullshit like that. Right. If you're a police officer and, like, I don't know, you're. I'm not saying we're gonna make a buddy cop movie out of Blade. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm not not saying it, you know, for the record. Just imagine you're a regular cop living in Blade City and your partner goes missing one night, you know, and you're like, well, damn, you know, we found his body, like, on the third story, but him and I were getting hot dogs on the ground floor. Like, how did he get all the way up to the third story and have his entire fucking head ripped off? How'd that happen? You start investigating, you find a nightclub named Nosferatu's, you know, I mean, I'm just saying, if it's named Bloody Mary's, you're just like, oh, okay, that's a popular drink, but Nosferatu's, you're like, that's a weird word, let me look that up. Oh, it's a vampire word. Huh. I, I don't know why it in my head, I, I was thinking of like what the alternative could be. It's like, hmm, it's I'm going to start looking for clues at one of these two bars. One of them is a vampire themed bar and the other one is a kangaroo themed bar. Both <laughs> seem plausible for how this whole thing happened. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Vampires are incredibly strong. They can fly, transform into bats. They eat people. Kangaroos can jump really high. They're incredibly strong and they, well, they eat people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Either way, <laughs> I guess technically flight is a superior power to jumping, but it's, I suppose, razor sharp margin between these two options. Right. Now, if it hadn't said that he was a businessman, I would have thought that this was like a fascinating puberty story. As if you couldn't put it together with the blurb and the title. But like, if we ignore the title and it's just like, you know, he takes, he takes some lady home and then his body's going through changes. Hmm. So this is a buddy cop coming of age story is what you're telling. Okay, okay. So let's say that is the case here. Who would white collar uh, businessman's buddy cop be? Like, who is he buddying up with? A werewolf. A were... Wait, wait, wait. A were... A were kangaroo. <laughs> um, but do you mean who was in the... No, no, no. Not, not who was in the actor, but like who is in like the character. Like, but, like I get that he's become this were kangaroo character, but like what does he do outside of that? Because our, our main character, if he, he's become a vampire, but he was a white collar businessman before that. Ostensibly still is. Like, it's, it's not like you become a vampire and you have to quit your job as a white collar businessman. Like, that's not how that works. 
<laughs> you can definitely hold night meetings if you're the CEO of whatever company. Yeah, you can just be like, when I show up, everybody like close all the blinds. His his company sells insulin. Of course. What else could they sell? What else? I mean, no. <laughs> What if, what if in this universe, like, blood is, like, just laced with sugar, and so when you become a vampire, you immediately develop diabetes? Oh, lord. <laughs> Thank God for these wings. They had to cut off my foot over this. <laughs> <laughs> I can't walk anymore. I have to fly everywhere I go. <laughs> oh, man. Now I'm just thinking about a little bat with no feeties. That's sad. Oh, no. A little, little sky doggo. I don't know if you've just been like a long time fan of the podcast and you, you know, you've been watching a long time and maybe you caught the ginger snaps episode and you were like, Oh my God, you know, turning into a werewolf as a metaphor for a, a woman going through puberty. That's like so smart. And now you're just like, all right, if we're doing a horror movie, it's gotta be a metaphor for puberty. <laughs> No, it was just, I mean, I thought of that immediately when I was like, no, 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 no. It's because if it's about puberty, it's got to be about women. And this is about some kid, uh, some kid CEO businessman. <laughs> is it? It's just Richie Rich turned into a vampire. <laughs> it's Boss Baby and that other really bad series of um, cartoon vampires. Hotel Transylvania? Yes, it's Hotel Transylvania and Boss Baby. Oh, God, man. You, you know what really sucks? So I, I am, in general, a fan of the Hotel Transylvania movies, but like, only honestly no they're they're pretty bad it's just it's like the second one is really close to like being smart it's close right no i think a lot of these movies do that where like they've got a smart premise or they've got like a fascinating idea for a story and um and they're like what are kids like and they fucking they just like get some old dude they're like uh richard fucking get on the internet figure out what kids are about and then you've got this fucking like 80 year old dude who's trying to decipher postmodern memes <laughs> and, and he's just like i don't i don't know put a bunch of this shit in there a lot of it is like you know they do like the the bodily humor you know like fart jokes and poop jokes and things and they think kids like those and that's fine i'm sure there are some kids who do and then they use a lot of like licensed music like so like music that's popular at the time but like 10 years later people are going to be like oh god this is so cringe like that song was popular for like a summer and now we're all just fucking sick of it well so what i'm thinking of when i mentioned like this postmodern meme shit is there's like um the mitchells versus the machines or something like that sure yeah yeah and um they have a bit in there where it's like oh my dad reminds me of a howler monkey and they keep on cutting between the dad and the howler monkey and this reminds me of like early epic rap battles of history that also did the howler monkey thing but like five or six years prior and so that's what i'm talking about it's like you, you get some dude on the internet that's like that still thinks the philosophy Raptor is like a, a relevant meme template and they're like yeah yeah kids love this shit i don't know how they do their research for this shit if they literally do just like i don't know i saw this on a thing once and i'm just gonna slap it into my movie whatever or if they actually have like some 22 year old fresh out of college like i've been on the ground floor for the past four years you know like i can give you the inside scoop i don't i don't know I remember uh, reading this post from some mom trying to connect with their kids. Uh, I don't know. She threw something in a trash can and she's like, yeet. And it's like, mom, nobody says yeet anymore. And it's like, oh, so yeet is cringe. Then around, nobody says cringe either. So cringe has been yeeted. <laughs> This is how I imagine fucking, I don't know, the, the top CEOs of Paramount Pictures are like, yeah, yeah, this is, that's how kids talk. Jesus fucking Christ. We get further from the light of God every day. No, we can only try. But we're doing a terrible job talking about the film. What, what else do you have, man? Are you, uh, what kind of a vampire are you hoping to see here? Can you imagine the design of the vampire? I would like, like, the least mystical form of vampire, because I like vampires when they're depicted as fringe society. They're the punk rockers, and they're the drug dealers, and they're the underground club promoters or whatever. It's that as opposed to like, she was a vampire. And it's like, how could you tell? I would rather the answer be like, it was the mystique and the, you know, it's like almost uh, mesmerizing how she, I was forced to follow whoever, as opposed to like, yeah, she bit me and then turned into a bat and flew out the window. That's less <laughs> interesting to me. <laughs> I always like to imagine what I would do if I found out I was a vampire and like immediately I would just start pursuing like frivolous passions. Like I would just be like, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to start, you know, sketching every day uh, constantly, really. Okay, but don't you have better things to do as a vampire? No, I have forever. I'm, I'm going to live forever. So I'll just do whatever. I don't have to worry about like when I turn 65 and my body doesn't work good anymore and I have to have saved up enough money to like survive off of until the day I die. I don't have to worry about that anymore. I can, I can just do whatever. It doesn't matter. If I was going to be a vampire, I would like it if someone asked me if I was at 
at like the age that I'd want to be at forever. Because there's been a couple of depictions of like children who become vampires, and then it's like this torturous of existence of like, no, I'm actually 600 years old. I know I look eight. Please don't treat me like I'm eight. Like, uh, have you seen this guy? I think his name's like Hezbollah or something like that. The very short Muslim guy who looks like he's a toddler. Yeah. God, what was it? He took those like photos of him like doing uh, UFC or something, and people were like, oh, it's the youngest UFC fighter. And he's like, no, nah, I'm actually 27. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know how old he is. Like, right. Is he 27? I think he's like 19. I think he just turned 19. I have, I have no clue how old he is, but he's like way older than he looks like he is. Right. Yeah. He looks like a toddler and he's actually a grown ass man that he, he just had like some interview with Mike Tyson and none of Mike Tyson's publicists informed him of this man's condition. <laughs> and so like little tiny Hezbollah's like, you know, throwing fake punches at Mike Tyson and Mike Tyson like picks him up like a child. And, <laughs> and I'm just like, no, no. Can you fucking imagine like being a 19 year old and just having some giant dude like fucking like blowing raspberries on your stomach or something like that? Like, dude, stop. Oh, God, that is, that is harrowing to think about. <laughs> right. Anyways, so that's the tortured existence of an eight year old vampire. And, you know, this story has been told like pretty completely in one of Anne Rice's books, but also like it's in Skyrim where like if you join the Dark Brotherhood, there's like an itty little vampire girl who's an assassin because nobody thinks anything of the little tiny eight year old. I think that's what I like about vampire stories is like exploring like what do you do when like not only is the finality of your existence that's no longer a problem but also all of the things that tethered you to being human maybe that's the better way to describe it like fucking vampire stories are always like a really good way of exploring what tethers people to like human morality like i like hearing stories about uh, religious vampires and stuff like that and having to deal with that duality of like is there a god i mean i can't imagine a god wanting me to be this there are a lot of stories where being a vampire inherently means that your soul is damned right you don't have to concern yourself with killing a vampire because they're already demonic and like not god gives them no grace basically i wonder is that something that people even consider like if you're like devoutly catholic and you get turned into a vampire is that something that like comes up into your mind like oh shit uh does god still love me can i still be a good person i mean god is supposed to be very forgiving and becoming a vampire was i mean in most stories it's not the choice that you made it's like it's like that argument like people bring this up a lot where they ask like a, a pastor like if there are aliens on other planets do they look like humans and a lot of pastors are like yeah because god made them and god made you know humans in his image so they're they would look like humans and if they didn't then they don't go to heaven they're not you know what if they're like sentient what if they can speak they have their own language and culture and everything if they did then they would look like humans and if not uh then you know they don't go to heaven we don't concern ourselves with them then it becomes like okay but what about like dogs and animals and stuff and like there are some pastors who will say like yeah dogs and animals go to heaven and other pastors who are like nope only heaven's only for humans and that's like heaven is only for people who who pray and can like have the presence of mind to devote themselves and do which i mean like you people can convert to a religion or be born again whatever's and i don't want to get graphic like right off the rip but it's it's like the uh you know you didn't choose to be a vampire sex before marriage uh, puts you right down to hell but <laughs> if you get raped before marriage it's not your fault why are you asking for forgiveness for this in much the same vein as uh, vein as <laughs> you didn't choose to be a vampire. Like, if you're a good person and you go to church and you follow, like, this whole list of rules to get into heaven and somebody turns you into a vampire, like, why? You shouldn't be forsaken just for that. Yeah, and then the question becomes, like, now you're living a bastardized version of a human life. Should you just run out into the sun and kill yourself as, as fast as humanly possible so that you're not continuing to bastardize human life? But suicide also sends you to hell. Yeah, exactly. So is that considered suicide? Or are you, like... Is this something that, you know, God would approve of? It's, it's not talked about. We need the Bible 2.0 to talk to us about vampires and how God feels about them. No, these are the fascinating stories that I, that I like about it because I feel like it's um, people just write it off like, no, no, they're monsters now. It's like, ah, but are they? Yeah, they're, they're sentient. They have hopes and wants and dreams and feelings like in most stories anyways. Like obviously there are some versions where like becoming a vampire like completely ruins your sentience. But in most cases, they're capable of thought and scheming and plotting and hoping and desiring and failing and feeling terrible about it. They have a 
whole life that they live, you know? Right. It's even like a, a very like close knit familial one where it's like, uh, you know, what father would not want to uh, propagate his genes and like, you know, have a large family. And well, I wouldn't, but, but, but many, many do. And really that's just the vampire story. It's like, oh, well, I, I wanted kids and those kids wanted kids. And like, just, you know, we've got a big old happy family of obligate carnivores. That's all. Yeah. I mean, shit, you know, uh, people got to eat. Ain't nothing wrong with that. I don't think the movie's going to touch on any of this. Do you think this lady he brings home to his house is going to be like a big character in this film? We haven't really talked about her at all. I don't know. The blurb kind of writes her off as just being like um, a catalyst. Like it just writes her off as being like, oh, he took her home and she bit him. And now we're going to deal with all of his changes. It's it's kind of like a like a her sandwich, really. It's him, then her, then him. That's how the blurb sounds. So kind of she's in the middle. She's the important part. He's just the bread. That's true. A white bread white collar criminal no he's not is he a criminal what if the movie just starts on him but then she comes into his life and changes him and then he's like following her around and we just he's like our audience insert character but we're really she's the protagonist she's making moves she's getting stuff done and we're just kind of experiencing the world of vampires through a guy who's going through it you know initially and following her as his mentor this is actually an early piece of feminist art because he's going to be trying to track down things according to the stories as they've been written previously like I need to find the original progenitor. I need to find Dracula. And she's like, oh, you poor stupid man. It's actually me. I am the matriarch of vampire society. To be fair, Dracula does kind of sound like a lady's name, a lady's name, la lady, la la lady. No, it, it, that's true. It is following Spanish, uh, Spanish, uh, you know, language rules. And that's famously where el Dracula, la Dracula comes from. Um, yes, yes. Accurate. As opposed to the Transylvanian Chupacabro. <laughs> we don't concern ourselves with him. He eats goats. <laughs> Somebody was complaining about a new poster for a movie that, like, they're making a kid's movie about the Chupacabra, but the title is just Chupa. Oh, no. So, like, without the goat, the goat sucker is, it's just loses sucker. a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I have heard of this. Not good. Not good, I'll say that much. Not not the best, I gotta say. A little, little oversight there. I don't know why, like, film naming convention has become that. Like, instead of naming the movie Dracula, you just name it Drac. Like... <laughs> <laughs> Why? <laughs> Is there a particular scene you want to uh, bet will be in this movie? What can you imagine when you think of a vampire movie? A specific, hyper-specific scene you want to predict? There is going to be a dark nighttime scene with full rain signifying rebirth, lightning crackling in the background, and for some reason Notre Dame is going to be there. Like, there's going to be just this opulent fucking cathedral in the background of New York City. Okay. Do you think our, our character will uh, exhibit any, like, vampire-like characteristics that are like super iconic you mean like physically like with the pointed ears and stuff like that sure yeah or will it be like a a less traditional design for a vampire i think it's gonna be like almost no physical characteristics but i think that during his discovery it's gonna have like i don't know if it would have been cliche yet at the time but the whole like man i could go for a really raw steak like a real a really rare steak like a basically uncooked meat i would like to eat just raw a person would you feed me a person? <laughs> the natural conclusion to this is eating people. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, hey, we're coming up on that time. And I guess this is the part where I ask you, is there anything else you want to predict? Just, you know, go ahead and throw that that bad boy out there and, and get it into the books. Our main character gonna, is going to be much older than the lady he takes home, which is going to oh, make this no. really weird if, oh, uh, no. if she becomes like a, a big part of the story. Oh, no. <laughs> anything but that. No, this that's what it's going to be. We're going to have a young Sandra Bullock and an old Chevy Chase. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Uh, Chevy Chase, no. <laughs> that is true horror. Yeah. Okay, well, hey, uh, let's let's go ahead and call it right there, and we will go and we will see the movie ourselves and come back and, and talk about the things that we saw and noticed and felt and our, our deep and profound feelings. Is there, a, is there a certain theme that you think might be in the movie? I think this is going to be like a commentary on business exploitation. Right on, right on. Well, let's get right to it then. Away! By seeing for ourselves!
Welcome back to the Torment of the Damned! See for yourself! You know, I'll just go ahead and I'll leave the I'll leave the floor open to you, sir. You go right on ahead, get into it. I want to start by saying, at first I thought he was a vampire. And then as the movie progressed, I kind of thought that this was like a mental health thing. But then at the very end of the movie, he died from getting a piece of wood shoved through him. And so clearly that means he was actually a vampire the whole time. Yeah, I mean... <sighs> I think the movie is about mental health, but uh, there's not nothing to suggest that he's a vampire. He does kill a lady by biting into her neck. I mean, he'd have to be biting pretty seriously there for a hot minute to... To, to kill somebody with plastic Halloween teeth? Well, it, he did take them out. Did he? Yeah, because it shows him putting them back in afterwards. Yeah, because they were attached to her neck, wasn't it? He didn't take them off his neck. Uh, I, I mean, maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he did take them off her neck. Uh, I'm not sure. But I did see him put them back in. I, I thought they got stuck to her neck or something like that uh but but regardless i mean you you absolutely could like bite into somebody's neck get their fucking artery right in there and kill them that's possible but like come on right come on he could be a vampire i don't know right i want to say that there's there's a popular meme with uh nicholas cage i didn't know it was going to be nicholas cage by the way oh you didn't know no yeah I, I i called chevy chase you know then immediately after we stopped recording it was like you know thank god that this was the one time you didn't say vincent price i don't know if nick Cage is something I would have guessed either. <laughs> but there's a there's a very popular Nicolas Cage meme that stems from this movie, and that's fascinating to me. Yeah, the you don't say meme, right? Yeah. You don't say. <laughs> but uh my god just e everything was so over the top and uh, like to the point of hilarity was this supposed to be a comedy like in some sense of it i cannot say with certainty that this movie was made with the intention of it being a comedy i, I, I don't know but you know when you look it up it does say horror comedy does it okay right now it does i don't i don't know if that's um just something that people who like because you know that the people who post these to streaming services and stuff like that they're the ones that kind of write the blurbs and they're the ones that sort of um categorize it in the genre that they think it is while i was watching this with ashley she's like why is he so over the top isn't he like some sort of classically trained i'm like mm -hmm. german expressionism or something like that uh, whatever so like him being over the top could definitely be seen as a comedy and somebody could be and meanwhile he's just like no no this is how you portray the mentally ill in the 80s this could very well be nicholas cage trying to do his best to like convey the manic side of a mentally disturbed individual or mentally unwell individual. That could be what he's trying to get across here because certainly there's always sort of those two sides to it. You know, there's the depressive, the, the sad, the morose kind of mentally unwell person. And then there's like the manic, the over the top, the crazy kind of uh, mentally unwell person. And maybe that's what he was going for was more of the manic side of things. I, I also kind of appreciated that um, even though it didn't, end particularly well he kept on having these like what i saw as moments of lucidity where he's like i have been treating alva incredibly poorly and i need to go fix this situation and he'd be like alva i mean it i'm a horrible person and then they get in the cab and it's like you stupid bitch it's interesting because you can read that situation this is like this is a great question you can read that situation either as he has a moment of clarity and realizes he had done wrong and he goes to alva and he apologizes and he does this a couple times in the movie where he's like i didn't i didn't mean to that was wrong of me to do and then just moments later he devolves back into his madness into his into his sort of rage and goes right back into you know screaming at her and chasing her and whatnot so do we read it as he has a moment of clarity and tries to make amends or the whole time he is a he is a man gone mad he is trying to entrap her he's just playing the long game he this is a sinister plan of his right i think it just depends on you know how you see this type of, of thing it, it depends on you is peter lowe a tragic figure it's hard to say you know he's certainly going through a lot in his brain at all times but the degree of malice with which he exerts himself upon other people is kind of kind of unforgivable really yeah even at the end where it's fully in his head he he's like doing the exact same thing like he he's fantasizing this uh this fix for his life where he's like i'm just i'm gonna find love i'm gonna have this imaginary woman i'm in love with who loves all the same things i do and like not five minutes later in the movie it's like you you bitch so it's like i don't know i don't i don't think either way of reading it like changes too much as far as like whether he's redeemable or or not nothing like that do you think that uh he was ever seeing a therapist or was this always just 
in his mind, he's imagining what it would be like to be speaking to a therapist. That's a good point. I think it would be fair to say that at some point in his life, he probably saw a therapist. He's probably had these problems for a good portion of his life. As to whether he was seeing a therapist at all, like uh, in, in the time frame of the movie, it's hard to say. For a second, I thought that when he called his therapist there to schedule a sooner appointment, I thought that the boy there in the therapist's house was Alva's brother. And so at that point, I was like, is he just imagining this whole thing as well? I don't know. We talk about the music in these kinds of movies a lot, and I loved the score for this movie. Just the number of like, delay! It's just, uh, I thought it was really simple, like, oh, like overly simplified as far as like an orchestral score, but I, I think it did what it wanted to do. It definitely, um, made it lean more towards comedy for me. Simple, but used to great effect. Yes. Just that, just that scene where he's like, he's like frantically tearing at the bag, trying to get those like plastic teeth and he puts them in. And then when he puts them in, he kind of like does that little, it's, it's like a little tiny roar almost. Right. And then the... <laughs> he closes his mouth and gets on all fours and like, crawls away and i'm like perfect no notes don't change a thing <laughs> yeah it's it's hard for me to tell also like because throughout the movie he talks very fake like he talks very affected and i don't know if that's him playing a very particular part or if this is him playing somebody who in their mental illness is like sees themselves as above others or something like that which translates very well into his like vampire acting like the the scene right before he kills that lady where he's acting all over the top and she's like basically mocking him while doing coke Yes, yes. <laughs> I loved, you know, people say it all the time, but like New York is its own character and it kind of is in this movie. There's all these like background characters like walking around the streets of New York being kind of crazy themselves. And so Nick Cage's like craziness and all that weird. <laughs> Yeah, actually, um, so Ashley mentioned that while we were watching it together. She's like, you know, I've only been to New York once, but he really wouldn't be standing out all that much. It's like, yeah, and every time he walks by someone, he's like, bleh, I'm a vampire and my girlfriend broke up with me. And they're like, oh, you too, bud. And they just go about their fucking day. <laughs> They're just like, oh, these street performers are getting crazier and crazier every day. <laughs> I know. So speaking of street performers, like he um he had those mimes performing the exact same thing twice outside of his apartment. And if anything could be said to be artsy enough to like fall into like his particular narrative, like I think that was working out pretty well. They kiss and they disengage and she slap and he spit or vice versa or whatever. But they did that like again and again. So they did it two whole times on the movie that I can I can remember. And they're kind of, they're kind of back to back too, so they're like kind of in rapid succession of each other almost. And it kind of foreshadows the events of the movie, right? Because Peter slaps Alva, and then he gets spit on by Rachel very shortly after that. I also love that, like after he like molests Alva, like she's she's you know in shock on the ground, you know, barely conscious, and he like hovers over and he's like, "I'm a vampire, Alva, Alva, I'm a vampire." <laughs> I know. I fucking, uh, I was also trying to write off the fact that, like, shooting blanks directly into your mouth would be an incredibly painful experience. Yes, not to mention, I, I watched that scene and I'm like, isn't this very dangerous for the, for the actor? Like, right. I mean, there's the inherent danger of, like, what if something? Like, what if a piece of gravel has fallen into the barrel? Because, like, that's, that's the thing, right? A blank is basically a bullet minus, it's a bullet minus the projectile, uh, if I'm reading that correctly. No, that's, that's how I understand it. There's still, like, a small little explosion in the barrel and everything. Yeah, there's a charge because they want it to sound pretty much accurate and like have the flash of the powder and all that, which you can accomplish with everything minus the actual metal projectile. And so the danger there, you know, that everybody thinks of is if something is lodged in the barrel, you've now create, you've finished the full package bullet. But regardless of that, there's still a combustion and hot air and powder getting forced through that barrel. That was not like an incredibly good <laughs> safe scene to be doing and this is old enough where i don't think there was a lot of good special effects he ate that roach he ate that for real yes he did that is true <laughs> and he grabbed a live pigeon a live all right so I, I'm, I'm willing to say that that was probably a trained pigeon because he <laughs> he had to like he had to deliberately not grab a bunch of those pigeons <laughs> They were like, would you like to cuddle Mr. Cage? And he's like, no, no, no. Oh, he got away. I got to get that one. And then he fucking sneaks off with it. And I'm like, you son of a bitch. And as if the next scene cutting to feathers all over the apartment wasn't <laughs> enough, 
a little a little Nicolas Cage belch to prove that he did in fact eat the pigeon. Oh my god! <laughs> like that, Jesus. and they could have just kept running. He, they could have panned all the way over to him with like an engorged stomach, going, "Mmm, good pigeon," and like, and it would have been great. That was a delicious pigeon that I actually ate. Can we just talk about how good of a person Alva is to give him the fucking opportunity to fuck her life up like that? I think if I had to give like a, you know, like a, a preamble to this movie, I would say this guy, it, it's pointed out that he has mental health problems in, in some way, like publicly at work, like everybody saw it and everybody knows, right? And he's scared and he feels bad and he goes through one of his lucid moments maybe where he's kind of like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I just did that. He did something, something kind of small, but like embarrassing in a way and like very public. The company keeps him on, but like sends him to, you know, a therapist. And obviously, you know, hey, we don't get to know what's going on at the therapist, but you got to go to see your therapist. You got to get help. So he goes, you know, to the therapist one time, just one time. But like everybody knows that he's going to see a therapist. So that's sort of like what paints the backdrop of this. The whole office is like aware that this is like a person with some sort of mental health struggle, you know. You know, now that you mention it, that definitely like repaints a scene pretty. So there, there's the scene where like uh, the first time he shows up with the glasses and he's just like strutting through the office in the vampire skulk. And then like he picks up some lady's fucking like ceramic duck and throws it on the floor. And uh, she's just like, gosh, he's just so eccentric, right? And it's like, oh, that's you being polite saying like, oh, it's kind of weird working for a fucking lunatic, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> that is the nicest way to call someone a stark raving lunatic is to say, well, they're just eccentric. <laughs> <laughs> I also love the scene where like he like apologizes to Alva in his office about the other day and he offers her a pistachio and then he's like, oh, why do you have your coat on, Alva? And she's like, oh, it's five o'clock, sir. I'm going home. And he's like, no, you're not. And he tells her that she has to stay late, basically. And, you know, she she sort of leaves because she's upset. And then just after she closes the door and like gets out of earshot, he's like, don't you want to use your, your gun now? just as she's like out of earshot and to me there's like a piece of this story that's kind of like a you know his masculinity has been bruised somehow and if we had the preamble of him being embarrassed at work by you know his his mental health not being like perfectly right maybe he's like talking to the water cooler like a whole bunch he ends up going in to give it a kiss or something and people are like ha 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 look at him kissing the water cooler what a weirdo and then he's like I don't remember doing that and they're like oh we should send you to the like company provided mental health counselor <laughs> that's that's funny. A uh, company provided mental health, but as I'm saying that, I, I do realize that it's the 80s and you were still allowed to break into your boss's office and break his legs if he was being unfair to you. <laughs> I mean, that's a that's a good question, man. If Alva had just shot him, like, that first time, would anyone have even batted an eye? Or would it be like, oh, she's Latina, get her! She's not white! She's not allowed to do that! I mean, I don't think Alva was particularly friendly with anybody in that office. And the other, I'm gonna assume just the board of directors is like, oh yeah, she's got a gun, and she's she's uh, ready and willing to pull it if you try to rape her. And it's like, ha have you all tried? Why is this funny? <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, that's fucking, that scene is terrifying because he's basically like yeah i ran into the women's bed i chased a woman into the women's bathroom and like had a verbal confrontation with her in there with other people present and then she tried to ask for a raise what the hell what the fuck dude oh my god i love this movie as like a representation of like how terribly sexist the 80s were i just want to bring up how like casually racist alva was unless i'm missing something about that particular subculture but she like goes down to talk to her uh brother or like gets him to stop the taxi so she can talk to her brother about getting the gun and it's like yeah of course you have a gun what happened when the when those other spicks came and tried to rob the garage or whatever it's like alva <laughs> What's wrong with you? Uh, I mean, if anyone should be allowed to say Spix, it should be Alva, I would think. Oh, is that, oh, that's a their word kind of situation, is I'm it? I'm not, I'm not saying it's a their word situation. I'm just saying, of, of the people present between me, you, and Alva, I think Alva can have it. I, I guess that's true. <laughs> Uh, like it's it's a spectrum you know who's more allowed to use this word? yeah i think the movie was a lot of fun i think it's uh this is one of our more fun films i agree yeah it's probably not the best scene when viewed through like a politically correct lens you know with uh with them specifically the one where he runs out of the club and he's like no i'm a vampire you see i'm a vampire do you have a gun shoot me I'm a and then somebody makes a little finger cross and he's like no no 
And it's like, that's realistically the scene is them harassing a mentally ill man. Yeah. But if you're not looking deeply, it's kind of a funny scene. And it's it's kind of like just because of the way that Peter talks and the way that he like, you know, exaggerates his expressions and everything. There could be something said here about like people who appear homoerotic. You know, that is sort of the stereotype in the 80s of a homosexual man. They sort of talk like this and they like throw their hands around when they're talking. They did also try to equate, uh, I don't know if they tried really hard, but there was a point earlier on where it was like, I just wanted to bring up, I, I saw this bat and I got very aroused. In my head, in that split second, I'm like, he's not a vampire. He's a fucking furry. <laughs> But, uh... <laughs> Which is strictly worse than a vampire! <laughs> it's probably them trying to be, you know, same thing, where it's, like, people who who have affected accents, you know, but they're very homoerotic, and, like, that basically equates to bestiality! They did try to villainize, like, eccentric people. I mean, it's probably also worth pointing out the vampire as the other, because there really aren't very many men in this movie. Uh, there's Frank, who is an unseen character, we never even get to look at him, the guys on the board of directors who get one scene, and then there's the older brother of Alva. There's also also, I don't know why it's stuck in his head. So the, the guy that was the taxi driver that drove him and Alva back uh, was in like three different scenes. I could have sworn he was in a scene earlier in the movie, but I can't recall it. I just remember that he looked familiar. But then he pops back again with his wife. I did like that he was like an example of love in Peter's head, because to me, that seems like probably the healthiest relationship we get to see in the movie is between a taxi driver and his wife who has no lines. Who we have never seen, by the way. That was that was what Peter imagined this taxi driver's wife to be. No, no, no. The taxi driver shows him a picture of his wife. Oh, does he? Yeah, he's got like a picture of him holding his wife and he's like, oh, that's my girl. And he's like, oh, you're your wife. And he's like, yeah, yeah, we've been together for 15 years and she's what gets me through the day. And I'm like, man, this guy really loves his wife. And that's kind of sweet. Yeah. You know, what a lovely lady too. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful actress. Both, both the, 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 the taxi driver, the wife, everybody. There's a lot of, a lot of beautiful people in this movie. I also wanted to bring up, cause I had like, I tried to call a scene where it, it, it'd be like a dark stormy night and he looks up and there's a flash of lightning in a gorgeous cathedral and it scares him off and that was replaced with a fucking neon sign cross. Yes, yeah, you almost had it. I know how much you love blue lightning, that that beautiful blue CGI lightning. And you must have seen that blue and thought, oh, we're here, we're here! Yeah. <laughs> nope, nope, I missed out. I was that, they fired the guy that makes fucking bitchin' 80s lightning and they're like, ah, neon's just so much cheaper these days. It probably is, to be honest. <laughs> Animating lightning in one of these shitty older movies is probably a lot of money, but uh, buying a neon sign, easy peasy. <laughs> but yeah, the vampire as the other, and he talks about how, you know, yeah, and when the when the bat came into the room, it, it sort of made me really aroused. She's like, oh, well, it's because you were just with the girl, right? And he's like, oh, oh, I mean, yeah, totally. It kind of sounds like he's covering for the fact that, like, his male roommate that he has, because when she leaves, she makes that joke about, like, oh, you didn't tell me you had roommates. Maybe the, the bat is meant to represent his male roommate that he is aroused by. Mm, okay. Something there. I suppose there is. I'd have to go back and watch it again and see if they make any other allusions to this type of thing. He he was sitting in his office eating nuts. There's that too. So, I mean, bingo. We've nailed it. The... <laughs> Oh my lord. Keep in mind, it's 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 the 80s. We can't just say he's gay. We gotta be like, well, he's mentally disturbed, and he's really into bats, and, uh, you know, he's got he's got, like, a roommate. Uh, I was just about to say that. It's it's the, the ment... Nobody gives a fuck about schizophrenia in the 80s. The real mental health concern was his, uh, homosexuality. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Schizophrenia, that sounds like made-up bullshit. But the homosexuals <laughs> are the true scourge on the people. <laughs> Good lord, man. The 80s were terrifying. You're saying he's seeing people? Yeah, he's in love with this, choose your next word carefully, this imaginary woman. Ah, oh, that's fine, as long as he's not touching anybody's butthole. Yeah, yeah, she's an imaginary woman. Is she white? Uh, no. Make sure there's a white one in the movie at some point. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> We all have an imaginary hot-blooded Latina woman who visits us in the night and bites us on various parts of our bodies. I think that's a very reasonable thing to put in a movie. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> wow, that's ridiculous. Okay, that, that part was the most realistic part. Having an imaginary Latin lover appear to you in the middle of the night. I mean, who doesn't? That's very normal. <laughs> We've all been there. Some of us are still there. Even right now. 
did you think that the vampire bite scene when uh, Rachel is biting him, uh, they, they have this scene in the movie like two or three times. Did you think that it really looked like a sex scene and specifically a male orgasm scene? Was it a male orgasm scene? She bites him and he's like, oh, 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 he like makes a big loud noise. And then he's like, yes, yes, yes. It was a very dramatic yell the first time, like very dramatic. So I don't, I don't know about that. I did notice that it was either the same scene or a continuation of the same scene. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think they used probably either purposefully similar everything or absolutely use the exact same footage. So over the course of the movie, I, I come to realize that this, uh, and I thought she was a black lady, not a, not a Latina lady. Oh, you know, I could be wrong. Let's double check. Well, in either case, um, so there's the woman that he brings home the first time that I think think is the same woman as the vampire and also the same woman that he takes to the art gallery i think they're all the same which is strange because in the first two scenes that we see them we see the lady he takes home when they're drinking the first night and then he takes home a different lady is what i thought it was supposed to be like he meets her and she's he's like hey did you did you get that joke no <laughs> and this was coupled with the fact that we saw the first lady's nipples like we got full frontal nudity on that first one and and I thought it must have been a, a separate lady because in the second nudity scene where she bites him and it's the orgasm scene or whatever, she's wearing pasties, which I thought meant that this was a separate actress that did not sign the visible titty waiver. But then like as the movie went on, I'm like, this is supposed to be the same lady. No, there's Rachel and then there's Jackie. Okay. Yeah. So Jackie is the girl that he sort of spurns by not showing up. Or, well, he shows up for the art gallery date, but then leaves. And then he calls her and asks her to come meet him again at that uh, restaurant slash club and he doesn't show up for that because he's with Rachel. They are two different uh, actresses and two different characters. Because at the end, when he's having his meltdown in the club after having killed that woman, she recognizes him. It's like, oh, Peter, of course, how have you been? And he recognizes her as the vampire lady. Yeah, so it's very likely that Rachel probably went home with him at one point and left. Or maybe even, because he, he does like, you know, he goes out to the, you know, bar with his friends and he sees her and he's like, hey, I like your earrings uh any chats with her and asks her to go home with him cut right to them like on top of each other oh so all right so that the lady that with the earrings that he took home ended up being imaginary vampire lady but also the lady who spurned him at the club after he murdered the other one yeah so it's it is unclear just how much of this story is in his head entirely yeah it's very possible that he was he actually that all that vampire stuff really did happen and she did bite him and he is slowly going through the transformation of becoming a vampire but he does it so uncouthly and he's not like maybe that's the process like as you're becoming a vampire if it takes you become one and if it doesn't your uh your sire or the person making you into a vampire in this case rachel sort of abandons you to move on to somebody else that she's going to turn into a vampire and once you try to oust her for being a vampire she takes on more human characteristics and and appears by everybody's you know inspection not to be a vampire when was vampire the masquerade like a popular thing was that a popular thing in the 80s it cannot have been no way 1991 so that's a shame because like this whole situation we've described it like fits the masquerade lore pretty well there's the you know the the clan of uh malkovians where when you turn them inner latent psychosis like comes up and if they're too psychotic they end up getting buried alive and just forgotten about they're like whoops whoop, that, that one was a mistake but yeah what if this all is a vamp it's no longer about mental illness again it's about actual vampires it's tough to say with all of these like unreliable narrator because our, our narrator for this story or our, our perspective character for this story is Peter. And because we're following him and we're like experiencing it through his eyes, there's really no way of determining whether or not this is all made up, how much of it is true. Are there fantastical elements or is he just making things up? Is he using certain things to be a metaphor for other things? It's like a clumsily masterful film, kind of. For the record, Nicolas Cage has been quoted saying that this is his favorite film he's ever made. Really? Fascinating. All the scenes where he's like, wrecking up his apartment that's that's all him doing that for real uh and the director has come forward and said like that was incredibly unsafe of me to let him do that i should not have like for for directors of the future don't do that don't let your actors just there's so much glass and broken wood and everything uh, uh, flying all over the place and he could have really gotten hurt and that was that was not good <laughs> but damn did it look good i did love the the juxtaposition between like it would like show peter having a big fit in his apartment and then cut to alva on the uh, 
uh, on the subway train, just sitting there listening to the the guy singing his song and coming by with his his cup for donations and her giving him a little donation and then grasping at her her purse, feeling kind of unsafe. Beautiful, beautiful scene. It was not really the dig into corporate vampires that I expected it to be. Like I thought I might have been going into that when he was treating her like shit in an office setting, and like maybe there's some of that in there, but well, he he does heavily rely on her for a job that like he can do himself and he like blows up how important it is because it becomes very clear that it's not important at all so i i would say that yeah there is like a degree of that it's not as important as like the themes of madness and and love and like the fragility of man and fragility of masculinity i guess the movie is trying to talk about a lot of different things and it really kind of depends what part of it catches you right sort of easier for the madness aspects to catch you because they're sort of performed bigger and crazier but it is in there it, it certainly is you know there's a degree of it sure a lot of the discussion of corporate elites you know leeching off of the blue collar workers or the the lower white collar workers i should say it, it really is you know hey they're just making it seem like this is a big deal when it's not and that's absolutely in the movie i love how frank is like oh so how have you been doing man and he's like fine frank fine frank sounds so much worse than i'm doing fine frank you know what i mean <laughs> Right, especially after he's hyped it up to, like... I was waiting for the guy to actually call and be an asshole, because this early in the movie, it's like, we don't know what the stakes are here. Like, for all we know, the last conversation they had, like, he's actually worried about losing this guy as a client, and, like, what that means for his job, we don't know. And so I'm waiting for him to, like, be completely... Not completely, like, exonerated of being an asshole here, because sometimes, you know, you don't know what your boss is dealing with, and so, like, if they're being an asshole, it's probably because someone's being an asshole to them, and it's just, like, a trickle-down sort of bullshit. But, like, he picks up the phone, and he's like, yeah, you just wait and see. You wait and see what sort of hell you've unleashed upon this office. And it's like, hey, 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 Peter, how you doing? Just want to let you know, you take as long as you want with that shit, and I'll pay you double. And, uh, you know, I got a box of chocolates and a hooker on our way to your office. I love you guys so much. Uh, how you doing, Peter? and he's like fine <laughs> hey well you just keep it up buddy click and it's like cool so you're actually being a piece of shit because he then turns i thought she would had heard the conversation and uh he's just like see now he's gonna fire us and it's like no <laughs> peter you're an asshole do you think the the scene would be better if the audio was cut for frank's side of the conversation and it's just dead silence and he goes uh hey hi frank how you doing silence 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 fine frank silence silence okay goodbye frank see he didn't want to hear my song and dance number he was so pissed off he was so mad that he just he wouldn't let you get a word in edgewise alva no i i think i enjoy it wasn't made immediately clear that alva could not also hear the con the conversation that just confused me mildly i think it works better in terms of comedy to be able to hear the other guy's side of the conversation yes if they wanted it to be like more of a horror i think it works a lot better not to hear frank's like what what he's saying yeah 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 it, it's much scarier to leave it up to the person's imagination i i suppose so but i mean to leave it up to your imagination as a hypothetical if frank's on the other end of the phone actually losing his shit it almost makes peter seem more rational in his outlandish fury over not having this contract so uh i think it's like scarier to the plot that we know peter's full of shit yeah i do think that in the moment it's funnier but on the grander scale it's scarier i guess as far as him being like a manipulative boss you know that leading into the whole you're a piece of shit alva you're a, you're the lowest one on the totem pole and even if there was someone lower i'd still stick it up your ass and it's like <laughs> Wow, all right, cool. That you are actually the boss everybody doesn't want to have. Oh, God, yeah. There's there's that aspect of this movie. This is like a big discussion on the horrors of working in a fucking office in the 1980s, especially if you're not in like the inner circle of like douchebags running it, you know what I mean? Yeah, because there's like, I don't know, it's, it's almost like nobody wants to stand up and be like, hey, that is a ridiculous way for you to act. You know, when he's like gradually increasing the volume of his voice, screaming at Alva and then like jumping up on someone else's desk and chasing her out and they're all like "Ooh, he's so eccentric thankfully he's not eccentric with me that bitch alva must have done something crazy 
So, so let's talk about social Darwinism. Are you familiar with the term? Uh, I'm familiar with both of those terms separately. So social Darwinism, there's a lot of different explanations for it. The way I'm using it in this case is in any social setting, in any social group, there will almost always be one person who is singled out as the social pariah, as the person who gets picked on, as the person who gets made fun of. I'm sure you've noticed it in your social groups. There's usually one guy who's the lowest on the totem pole. Yeah, I've, I've definitely noticed. <laughs> <laughs> people have a tendency to do this with each other in any group larger than two people. Usually if there's two people, there is no lowest man on the totem pole. It's usually people looking at each other as relatively equal or both people looking at the other person as the low man on the totem pole or both people looking at themselves as the low man on the totem pole, just depending. And it's interesting watching social Darwinism evolve if like the person who's made to be a social outcast decides to leave for whatever reason and now the group slowly has to decide who's and slowly and un spoken. Like, nobody says this shit out loud. It's just one of those unwritten social contracts we have amongst ourselves as humans. One person slowly gets decided to be the new social outcast, and everybody sort of like lampoons them and picks on them and, and puts them down. No clue why we do this. It's a terrible thing, but it's very likely that a lot of those people in the office were very much thinking, oh yeah, I'm just glad it's not me, man. No, that's a fair point. It really sucks that it's Alva, but God, I, I could not put up with that. <laughs> And it's, it's part of the, like, intrigue of this movie that, like, if we just swap the perspective to Alva's perspective, it's a totally different movie. It is, a, it is like, a straight horror. If we swap the perspective to, like, let's say that old lady that was, like, in the bathroom when Alva's being accosted. Yeah. Let's swap the perspective to her. Like, is she just watching all this shit go down and just being like, oh, fuck, I gotta get out of here before he fucking turns it on me. Let me just get the fuck out of here. Let me not make a big deal out of it. Twice, she's like, what the hell's going on here? And he's like, I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm just here harassing this lady. And she just walks out and she's like, what? the hell's going on here and that's like her only line and she shows up later just to like uh be like hey are you okay to alva and i wanted her to say it a third time <laughs> what the hell was going on there i just i honestly would love to see that old lady just every time alva's harassed by him she just shows up randomly and is like what the fuck is going on <laughs> <laughs> oh would have been really good just like because we kind of used it once and we got like half of a second use out of it i guess but like i would just love for that third time you know maybe when he's like chasing her to the very basement of the building or whatever and she's just walking out of the building like what the hell <laughs> i know i would have uh oh god she should have been a recurring character like when he's out here imagining talking to his therapist and he's talking to the wall and she just you see her across the street what the hell is going on here how bad do you think alva's brother feels about like not acquiring real bullets for her and not really like because because she comes to him and he's kind of just like ah you know you got got time to lean you got time to clean that's how everybody's boss is you should see how my boss is he's such a fucking asshole about her whole family too and i don't know if that's just like a commentary on i don't know my minorities in uh like working positions in the 80s where like even her mom was just like oh everybody hates their boss uh, okay i was waiting for her to come in after was like alva you gotta go to work everybody's boss rapes them at one point or another <laughs> it should be pretty like you know your daughter you know like do you really think your daughter is like not the hardworking type because to me alva seems like a good honest hardworking individual are you really trying to say like she's trying to skimp out of work or do you do you think that she's i don't know i don't know why people just don't believe each other when they say like hey things are really bad at work and my my boss is acting like a fucking lunatic i think he's gonna do something crazy he keeps like chasing me around and like cornering me and i don't know what to do man she shouldn't even have to explain all of that she should just be able to say i don't feel safe at work i think i should just quit and you go yeah quit man i got you but i guess things aren't that easy you know when money gets involved it's like no we need the money come on right just suffer as much as you can suffer <laughs> It's like a strangely sad and funny movie all at once. It's it's so weird, man. It feels sort of cathartic to watch Peter get killed in the end because we know that like at this point he's probably beyond help and he's done something unforgivable and what do we do, you know? But also like he's mentally unwell and he needs, you know, he needs someone to help him and like he's he's sick, man. Get him some help. Yeah, no, I mean fucking cuz cuz nobody sees that. Like we we can hope ideally that uh he was actually seeing a therapist but because he's such an unreliable narrator throughout this whole movie the only times i think we can actually see something actually happening for realsy reels is when al like we're sitting in alva's perspective yeah 
Oh, man. What a good movie full of good performances. I, I do want to point out Elva's act actress does a great job in like every scene she's in. Nick Cage is just blowing the fuck up over right next to her and she's not trying to outact him. She is absolutely doing what you should do when you're in that situation. Think about like, uh, God, what's his name? Jim Carrey and the guy who played Two-Face in that movie. Jim Carrey and he's, Jim Carrey's the Riddler and the other guy's playing Two-Face. Okay. Well, so like there's like this big story, you know, if you if you look into it where Jim Carrey is like, oh yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to be Jim Carrey. I'm going to, you know, overact. I'm going to go over the top. I'm going to be really silly. And the other guy who I'm trying to look up his name now, Jesus fucking Christ. I can't remember this guy's name to save my fucking life. Uh, Tommy Lee Jones, Tommy Lee Jones playing Two-Face tries to do the same thing. He tries to like upstage or overact as well to compensate for how, like how visible an actor like Jim Carrey or like Nicolas Cage can be in comparison to him. But what you should do is try to play it straight play a very down-to-earth character a down-to-earth performance and that way the contrast is what's visible and not specifically the one guy like going like over the top it's kind of like you know uh, probably a better example you know in rush hour you have agent carter and agent lee the contrast between them is what's visible not the fact that agent carter is doing a much bigger performance than agent lee being chris tucker and jackie chan obviously was this uh was it was this what you were expecting out of a vampire movie um it was not i love how how quick you were to make a summary just based off of the name like he's going through changes okay he's changing into a vampire is he though i mean unless this is when nicholas cage went through puberty because that would explain a lot as well we do love getting to see nicholas cage go through puberty love it they should have gotten share back oh if only we could be so lucky you fooled me again i need to i need to stop going into these movies and thinking oh well, well. uh mr uh mr magoo no what was it skip two. skip to malu he's just gonna hit me with one of these these fun time movies that uh, it's not really going to be about anything crazy, you know? It's uh, Whatever you just thought of, family made, that's what it's going to be. It's just going to be very easily digestible, and I need to start going for those really wild, this is going to be about postmodern communism or something like that. <laughs> You did so well in the City Hunter episode that I was like, no, nah, I gotta start, I gotta start tripping my boy up. I gotta, start, <laughs> gotta start putting the moves on him, you know, fucking pump those brakes, fucking split, like do the do the 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 Tokyo drift, you know? Yeah, yeah, I can't have you that that City Hunter episode, fucking. I've been thinking about that fucking prediction for days now. That one haunts me. <laughs> well, hey, we are coming up on that time, and uh, I guess I just wanted to ask you: Was there anything else you wanted to point out about the movie? Anything that like. Uh, you thought was kind of neat or worth worth mentioning we haven't brought up yet i don't know i really i really enjoy nicholas cage's over-the-top acting especially when it's got like a really crazy reason to be there i don't know it, it was very funny to me sometimes like the shit that he said or how he acted or like specifically some of his reactions where it cuts to clean cut nicholas cage talking to his imaginary therapist and then it cuts to blood smeared crazy cage talking to a wall and just uh the dramatic changes in facial features was a lot of fun. I do want to say they should have done a better job in those scenes trying to make the blood on his, you know, surrounding his mouth look less like a goatee and more like blood. No, that's fair. I, uh, I didn't even notice the blood on his face after he killed the woman. It was only like later on when it was dried on that I noticed it. No, I tried to keep a pretty good eye on it because it, it is pretty striking to see a man in a club like with blood all over him, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I would think people would be calling an ambulance like, oh my god, this guy's so high on coke that he's like his whole face is bleeding at this point like that's a problem that's what i would be thinking as like a security guard for the club i mean i don't imagine he was sticking around long enough to get an ambulance to show up you know he kind of rolls out of there nice and fast i do want to point out that the couch coffin is just genius that's that's gorgeous no that was fun speaking of like weird fucking furniture gags i had a lot of fun with the scene where he goes into the bathroom and he's like oh, where am i and then he looks into another mirror where am i and uh you know one of the ceos is like you're in the shitter peter Take that fucking acting out of here. Take it to the women's bathroom. I don't care. I know the tape. So like, I thought that just him acting like he couldn't see himself was fun enough. And then it's like, all right, we saw the guy in the bathroom. Of course, he's got a mouth off about it. But the fact that he's like, go back to the women's bathroom was especially funny for me. Yeah, genuinely hilarious. I also liked how uh, he went to sleep with the plastic fangs in. <laughs> I loved how he's like, oh, shit, I'm broke. Those are some really nice teeth. What else you got? Like, oh, yeah, I've got these cheaper ones. They're $4. And he's just, like, ecstatic with them. As soon as he gets, like, these cheap Halloween, like, wax teeth in his mouth, he's like, ugh, I am exactly how I was meant to be. <laughs>
<laughs> the, the transformation is complete. <laughs> oh no. I really love this movie. It's it's a cult classic for a reason, man. It's 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 a good time. It's like weirdly complex in a way. Like it's got more going on than you than than like it it seems like a, a, upon initial viewing, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like it it looks like a fun movie, and like even the the like poster for it looks like a fun movie. I didn't expect it to be deep. I love that they used for most posters. You get to see Nicolas Cage with just the uh, cheap plastic vampire teeth in, which makes me believe that it's it's more of a comedy because that visual is just hilarious. I also like how the uh, how Rachel like points out that he looks ridiculous. Like the movie knows, you know, the movie's not ignorant to how ridiculous and pathetic this looks. Yeah, it was done purposefully. That is part of the genius. But you know, we said a lot of horrifyingly offensive things and things we'll probably have to take back in the season wrap up episode and apologize for. We're real sorry. We won't be bad heathens no more. We'll be good heathens. Oh, uh, well, unfortunately, family made pro- will probably get fired. So this, so I'll just I'll say all that other crazy shit I was gonna say, and it definitely won't get cut like right now well you know skip skip to my Lou called that one actress latina and she's actually half african-american half irish so skip to my Lou's getting fired for sure of course well what are you gonna do we'll call it a day here and we will uh we'll see you for ourselves in the next see for yourself seeing with our eyeballs right right yeah well, well yeah that's how you would see uh for yourself with your own eyeballs yeah. Like, go go see with someone else's eyeballs, and uh, and and then contact us at uh, at contact for yourself with uh, with with your finger balls, and let us know how that worked. Absolutely, detail it in 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 hyper specific explanation, expository writing, please, uh, and thank you. Pre- preferably purple prose, but we'll take tan prose too. We're not too picky out here. Risky Google of the day, by the way. Uh, purple prose. Yeah. Good luck all, and by all a good vampire. That was a delicious pigeon that I actually ate.